very, very exciting. We're back for another week. Super exciting episode. In particular, this one, I'd say, before we get to the, our most exciting guest, uh, no offence to our first two panellists. I'll introduce those first two panellists. First up, Tom Williams uh, here on the show, as he often is. Good to see you, Tom. How are you going? I'm very well, Harper. Good to see you as well. Oh, mate, pleasure to have you on, as always. Also here, back after a little stint on the sideline, is, is our... Oh, maybe he's our second favourite South Australian this episode. Lucas Fernaldo, how you going, mate? <laughs> um, good, mate. Have have just about recovered from from the robbery of uh, yesterday, which I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> and uh, you brought a mate with you as well, former Adelaide United captain, current Fagiano Okayama player in the J2 League, about to get into some promotion playoffs in about a week or so this weekend, actually. Stefan Mork, how you going, Stefan? Pleasure to have you on, mate. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to uh, to be part of the show. You know what? I reckon we might hit you with a question first up, Stefan. Of course, Adelaide, Sydney, in Sydney, it was two all, but the big talking point <laughs> is the red card to Ibusuki. And look, I, I bet you've got some pretty strong views on this. Do you want to hit us? Yeah, I guess it's good that I'm not part of the league, so I can I can speak my mind on it. I guess without any uh, repercussions. Um, yeah, I just think it's like in lifetime. Of course, it's always challenging for uh, for the officials. His his slid in and his studs were up, and um, it was quite high up on the leg. But you know, he's clearly won the ball and just followed through. There's no uh, no intent. Um, it wasn't malicious. I don't know the the technical terms the referees go by exactly, but I just think you know common sense in a situation like that, especially with the VAR. You you watch it back the first time and you say, "I oh, was kicked the ball away," and then he slid in and, and made a tiny bit of contact, but he's not going to be able to actually injure the player uh, in that action, and it just makes it like a little bit for a player anyway. Um, quite confusing as to what, you know, you've got the VAR that's there to hopefully stop these incidents um, or make them correct and they don't step in for it. It just makes it uh, frustrating and you don't really see the point in having VAR there for us. Lucas, you're nodding your head. Yeah, just in terms of for a player, Stefan, I think Carl after the game said and has spoke for the Jan Sass one against Wellington that... uh, They've come out before the season started and said any contact with the studs is now going to be, we're going to change it. We're going to really clamp down on any contact with the studs. The word force was used. But when you when they change rules like that, and there's been a few different examples, do you actually, is it even possible for a player to take into account in the heat of the moment and just completely change the way you're playing? Because anyone that's played the game will, will go, oh, I've got the ball. It almost doesn't matter what I do, especially if he's pulling out of a tackle. Are you even able to, in that moment, think of what you're actually doing? Well, I, I think in that particular moment, um, Ibusuki 100% couldn't because he's, he's slid in to win the ball and his momentum, I think, um, you know, of course his, his studs are going to get raised like afterwards because you've slid in. It's impossible to keep your toe pointed down to the ground. Um, and he was probably a metre away from Caceres. So, um, it was it was quite strange, obviously, that you know the incident that happened is not going to happen often. But I don't really understand. I wasn't obviously in the meeting with the referees, but any studs shown uh, that doesn't make sense because you know you, you step on people's feet all the time with your studs. Doesn't mean it's a is dangerous. You know, if you're sliding in off your both feet are off the ground with your studs, you can break their legs, similar to the one that happened with Wellington against Adelaide. Even though that was a slip, 
that one for me is a red card and it's unfortunate. The, the two incidents aren't the same. And, and I think that's the, the frustrating thing. And, um, yeah, I just I, ca- I can't understand how, you know, if you're in the VAR and you're looking at that, you cannot say you've got to overturn this decision um, because the referee's made a big mistake. He should get some help from the VAR, which is obviously what it's there for. Tom, uh, look, the point of VAR has been, <laughs> it's been discussion uh, throughout almost its whole existence, but uh, it's come back up, it's bubbled back up to the surface this week. Speak to us. You've no doubt got some very strong opinions on this issue as well. Yeah, as always. Uh, um, I think with VAR, I understand the point of it, but the the trade-off with me is that half the time they don't get the decisions right anyway, and as someone who actively attends football matches in the stadium... I just think it takes a lot of the emotion out of the game. That's that's my big qualm with VAR. I think the trade-off that you get for getting some of the correct decisions some of the time isn't necessarily worth um, the emotion lost through these like big moments. Like, I, and I think there's there's sort of technology coming into place about semi-automatic offside technology stuff like that. I'm all in favour of that. But the thing is with a VAR is it's still a human making a decision. So it's still really difficult because you've got one guy in front of a screen who's just looking at um, sort of things on a camera and suggesting the referee to make a change. And I think that's still really subjective. So that's my big qualm with VAR, I think. And I think for that um, that one on the weekend, like the, the actual terminology to be able to send someone off um, automatically is that it either has to be violent conduct or serious foul play. Um, if it's sort of like a, a footballing challenge, it comes under the, um, the banner of serious foul play. And the big sort of thing with serious foul play is that it has to endanger a player's safety to be considered serious foul play. And I just don't see any logical circumstance where someone could look at the replay of that challenge and seriously think that Ibasuki uh, endangered Caceres' safety. So that's where I think VAR has to step in, irrespective of this idea that um, that like every studs-up challenge is a red card. It, you've got to go back to the actual rule book itself, I think, with stuff like that. Lucas, just one more on this. I, I think until robots take over the world, we are always going to have humans making the decisions for, as the VAR and the referee on the pitch. So for you, is it just a scrap and don't look back type operation it should be with this or have well, you got a way I, that it could be fixed I, I think to be honest no because I think we have to have VAR as long as it's in the rest of football I, I would love if, if everyone could get rid of it but as long as it's in in the world game I don't think and I think it's unfair on the players if they're going to go to a world cup and have it and then not have it here I don't, I don't think that's right so I feel like we have to have it as long as it's prevalent throughout throughout the game, um, but to me, I just think it's a matter of allowing the referees to have a bit of common sense. Steph, your hand was up there. Yeah, sorry, I'll just uh, jump in. We actually don't have it in J two here, um, so this whole season, I I don't know what um, the reasoning behind it's probably money. Um, and I don't feel as if we've lost anything from not having it. There's been some wrong decisions, of course, 
I got sent off in my first game here and I don't think it was a red card. Um, (laughs) And I think we had a a goal the other week that was offside, that was, uh, that was given offside and he wasn't, he was three meters onside. Um, But for me, the, the, the biggest thing is, you know, as, as a referee, it's a tough job and they're always going to get decisions wrong. And if it's in a big game, it's highlighted. And I think that's the reason why they brought this in for, you know, you know, Thierry Henry's handball, famous one, uh, you know, your Frank Lampard's goal in the World Cup. I understand their massive moments, but at the same time, every small decision now is getting highlighted. So the main takeaway from a game is actually the decisions of a referee. And we've watched them now 10 or 15 times instead of focusing on the actual game itself people go away and are actually questioning the decisions of the referee and now the VAR and what's the point. So we're not actually talking about football and that's what I found here. Once it's done now, the decision, you don't talk about it. It's, 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 it's over. And I think for me, the offside um, and maybe a goal line technology, those are black and white decisions, but for the rest of it, it's up to interpretation and you're still going to get one person who thinks it's a red card and another one who's not. So you're not actually uh, getting the desired outcome of a of a clear, um, clear and obvious uh, decision that everybody would agree with. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Let's move on to the actual game, uh, the two all draw between Adelaide and Sydney, or Sydney versus Adelaide. Tom, uh, Sydney, they don't, but they didn't look too good in this game, considering that they had um, a man advantage for the majority of it. They, they went up and then they they didn't end up winning and holding on. They'd be pretty disappointed with that, wouldn't they? I think so. I think whenever you have a man advantage for that long, I think it's worth noting as well, though, that Adelaide were ahead when the when the red card happened. So to come back um, and take the lead as well, they went 2-1 up and then Adelaide equalised. So I think that's the thing that would sort of annoy them the most is that you don't want to concede when you've got 10 men, uh, when the other team's got 10 men, sorry. So um, I think we still saw Sydney in midfield were really dominant. To have 67% of the ball in an A-league game is quite a lot um, and 28 shots. But the problem is that uh, just in the attacking, in the final third, a lot of the opportunities that they were creating weren't actually challenging uh, the goalkeeper. So I think that's going to be a focus for Sydney moving forward. And I think I think LaFondra was out as well. So um, that, that oh no, LaFondra played. Sorry, um, but he came off the bench, and um, and Patrick Wood came on and looked That's quite good. good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, so whether they try and change around the final third, uh, they could play Mac up top. They could bring Segacic into the eleven. There's a lot of diff- like a lot of flexibility in the final third for Sydney, especially. But I think um, as long as they've got Lolly and Mac there they'll continually create chances because those two wide players are really, really dangerous 1v1. Um, They're sort of just needing a more prolific number nine to finish off their opportunities, I think. And I'm not sure if LaFondra is the best answer at this point in his career, as good as he has been in the past. Yeah, I just think for the inverse or the converse of that is um, for Adelaide, it was almost the exact opposite as Wellington couple of weeks ago they had the situation where they went down to 10 um, quite early and then well, Wellington went down to 10 quite early and then Adelaide sort of thought they would have been on for for three points but I think that sort of uh, to show that sort of courage and bravery especially after going 2-1 down to then come back into it and they very well could have won it 
um, in the last minute uh, with uh, through Aaron Kunda. So I think that's that's a win to me for right. Adelaide because they really, especially after the two games, I think, and starting three games away from home, going to Perth at home now, um, I think that's as good as as a win. Maybe not obviously not points wise. But the, to show that sort of team spirit and camaraderie in those sort of circumstances, that could have been a write-off game um, easily. So I think to get a point is, is as good as a win for, for Carl in this situation. Stefan, you're obviously very recently departed uh, from Adelaide just in January. You left not nine months ago. So no doubt you're keeping tabs on them. Like, like Lucas said, three games away from home to start the season. They're, they're going to move into the newly refurbished, rebuilt Cooper Stadium next week against, or well, this weekend against Perth. Uh, yet to win a game, two draws and a loss. What have you made of their start to the season? Yeah, I think it's obviously points-wise it's not great. You want to uh, you want to get points on the board very early. Um, I think it, it just builds builds confidence within the team. But, you know, three away games, I think the first one at Wellington, it's probably one of the toughest places to go. And, you know, disappointing because they had uh, the one-man advantage for a long period of time not to win the game. Um, but then, you know, roles reversed, obviously, this week, like Lucas said. And, and, you know, a point away at Sydney any time is good, but especially when you've got 10 men for such a large period of time, I think is uh, is, exci- is exciting that, you know, you see the, the team wants to fight for each other and is willing to kind of, even when the things go against them, they're going to fight. Um, but the I guess the MacArthur game, they were, you know, they could have won that as well. So um, overall, I think, you know, they're, they're playing quite similar to the way they did last year. And and I think they'll be pushing for that top four spot. I think there's some really good teams. And, and Sydney FC, for me, have actually I didn't see too much of the game on the weekend, but they've probably impressed me the most out of uh, any of the teams for how poor they were last year. And they've changed the way they play. They look really exciting and maybe not so much on the weekend, obviously. But, you know, their front third in terms of the two wingers especially, um, you know, they look really good. And, and I think Brighton coming back is a massive in for them. So, they're, they're looking good. I think Adelaide need to make sure that they uh, they get a win at home this week, just so they don't you know start they don't fall behind the the top teams too much. Move on to the Melbourne Derby. Melbourne victory nil. Melbourne City two. Crowd of uh, tick over twenty three thousand there, which was very very good to see. But probably not so good to see for either team. I, I don't think they'd be that uh, happy with their performances, even though City won a Derby. They uh, Tom, your hand's up there, so I'll let you speak in a sec. But, yeah, they, they won 2-0, but probably not as happy as a typical 2-0 win in a derby. It was such a weird game to analyse from either team because from one end you've got City who didn't react to the extra man very well at all. They, for a lot of the second half, were still trying to play in transition despite the fact that they had the extra man. Um and I think when when they weren't or when they had the ball, they were so passive in possession. They were passing the ball around, obviously, to try and keep the ball, um, get victory running a bit more to tie them out a bit. But they kept losing the ball under very little pressure. And then um, with victory, victory started the game so dominant. I think people forget this as well. Like, Brillante had a shot or a header from point-blank range, that which any other day he really scores. Uh Economides had a good chance at the back post as well, which he missed. Um, and then the entire complexion of the game just changes after Brillante gets sent off. And I'm sure he'd be kicking himself over that one because 
to be honest, I thought it was pretty poor to lunge in like that when you know you're already on the yellow, irrespective of whether you think the first yellow card should have been given. I don't think he was ever going to get to that ball. Um, so as soon as he comes in and makes contact, it's a guaranteed second yellow. So the ref got that spot on. And, yeah, it was it was just really weird because you expected City from that point on 2-0 up with an extra man to just go absolute ham. But victory were pretty admirable with 10 men, I think. Um as I say, with the victory jersey in my background, but <laughs> I, I, I honestly think, think they were. So um, in particular, um, D'Agostino was a constant threat up top. Economides was probably the most impressive I've seen from him since his ACL injury. Roderick was really so- sound at the back as always. And, yeah, City, like, it's not to say they didn't play well because they did. Like, he was really good. Um, I think we saw a bit of what Tilio is capable of, but I don't think that they can walk out of that game very happy with their performance, knowing that they got outplayed essentially by, by 10 men and victory still had a lot of chances to score. And you almost had the, the, the feeling, even if victory had like a slice of luck in that second half, even with 10 men, that there was a chance that the crowd could get behind them and they could get an equaliser. And I honestly think if Berlanta hadn't have got sent off, I think victory would have had a pretty good chance of coming back. Uh, Stefan, did you did you watch this one? Yeah, yeah, I saw this one. So it was um, a really good game, actually. I think the uh, the start of it was it was frenetic, as you'd expect in a derby. I think the as much as maybe he got a little bit of hate, the referee, um, I think he actually, especially the first 20 minutes, he, he let everything go. And, and that's, as a player anyway, I think that's the way every referee should kind of let most games go, not giving away these small free kicks, which stopped the the flow and the momentum of the game. And and victory did. They were the better team to start off, and they probably should have went one nil up. And and that's that's football, you know. Then uh, they get a soft penalty, I think, but it's it's technically it's there, so you, you've got to give it. And um, and Brillante for me, the first one was was probably a yellow card. Um, and then the second one, you know, from for a player that's on a yellow card, you. You just have to not tackle almost, and, and I know, and his position especially, it's hard, and, and obviously the ball into him forced him to do that challenge. But you just have to be a little bit smarter and um, and at least just stay on your feet. But you know, it's it's easy when you're uh, when you're watching the game, but when you're out there, sometimes your emotions get the better of you. And um, like Tom said, I, I completely agree. I think City they've looked really good in their pressing game. I think that's probably been the most impressive thing this year about them. Um, the way they press teams, that they uh, they force mistakes and they look quite quite together when they do that. But with the ball, they maybe haven't been as effective. Um, and, and probably in a game like that, when you, you have an extra man and you tune up, you want to capitalize on that and, and put the third and fourth away. But um, it's not always easy playing against 10 men, as, as obviously Sydney FC found as well. And, and Wellington in the first game, when they had 10, they, they came back. So I think victory will probably almost take more out of it in terms of, you know, with 10 men, they still matched it against City and, and created enough chances to score in the second half. But, you know, those two teams, I'd say with Sydney FC, have, have been the most impressive in the first three rounds anyway. I'm interested to know, Stefan, you spent a few seasons at City. Do you watch their games with kind of light blue tinted glasses on? Obviously, it's like a very different squad, uh, the whole different staff probably to what it was when you were there. But do you still uh, have a little soft spot, soft spot for them? Um, not not really, to be honest. I think it's a different different club. I went there when it was Melbourne Heart at the start and, and I spent five years there, turned into Melbourne City and, and then I went back on loan and spent another year as well. So, you know, uh, 
I don't know too many of the squad players that are there right now. And, and I, I grew up in Adelaide. So for me, the team I always supported was Adelaide United. And, um, and then going back to play for Adelaide United and being the captain for me, that's, that's more so where my alliance is. I, I do like watching Melbourne city play just because I think they play good football. Um, because Norbo's got them playing, playing good and exciting uh, stuff, and and that's for me why I like watching them play more than um, having a soft spot for them. And you had some nice little battles with City at, when you were at Adelaide as well, wasn't it? the two now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was no, that was good. I think nah, they're 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 a good team. They've always been up there. I think you know that's why you like playing against those teams and um, that extra bit of spice in the game. Sometimes when it's your old club, and um, I think that game there, especially the. The league was on the line on that last day in round 27 it was so it was um yeah they're, they're a good club actually that that reminds me and you as a player who i'm not sure i'm trying to think if there's been examples of you scoring against old clubs when you're in the a-league but what are your thoughts on players doing the no celebration thing i, I think we've gone too far I was because I was watching the game with someone who's not too knowledgeable about football, and he's going, "Why isn't he celebrating?" I'm like, "Oh, well, he used to play for for Sydney, Van der Sarg. This is obviously I didn't explain." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, do you think that maybe sometimes footballers go a little bit too far with the with the no celebration? It's hard to comment, obviously, on um, on other not, players. Not necessarily Van der Sarg. Not necessarily. Yeah, Vendesarg. no. Open <laughs> up a bit more than yeah. just him. No, I think. <laughs> I think every player is entitled to obviously do what they want. You know, for me, it's more so, you know, you, if you grow up in the academy and you, you support that club and, and, you know, you play for them for, you know, five, six, seven years, I can understand, um, you know, that respect level is there. But, you know, in a situation um, like, you know, where I've been and where I've left certain clubs, um, they haven't maybe liked me as much as the new club I've gone to or, or vice versa. Um, you know, I'm playing for that club. I'm playing for that supporter base. So I'm doing everything I can to win the game for them. And, and I like to play with with my emotions uh, very high on the field. And, and I'm going to celebrate because, you know, I want to show that to the fans that I'm going out there and I'm not holding back. But each player, I think, is is a little bit different. Um, so it's, it is a bit of a strange one when you're talking to people outside of football. Um, but, you know, it's it's something where I think a lot of players would celebrate maybe the first time they score, maybe they won't, but I'm sure the second or you saw McLaren on the weekend against Brisbane or a couple of weeks ago, sorry, there, you know, he probably wouldn't have celebrated, but they're booing him. So, you know, it works both ways. I think as a player, you know, you uh, you probably wouldn't do it, but then you're getting booed or, or jeered and you think, well, I'm going to celebrate now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay on the same track as oh, of uh, Stefan Walker player because, Stefan, you've got a J2 League semi-final promotion playoff for Fagiano Okayama against Montadio Yamagata on Sunday. Uh, I think it's at 4pm Melbourne time, which would be 3.30 Adelaide time uh, for the people that care about that. But uh, (laughs) tell us, I know you guys finished finished third, uh, so the highest you could be without getting automatically promoted. So how, how are you feeling about the weekend? Yeah, it's a massive game. Um, it's against Pete Klamowski, the, the Australian coach, um, as well. So they're, they're, they're a really good stru- uh, side, and we've actually played them three times this year because we had to do a replay game against them, um, which is another story. But uh, I think they're, you know, they're a team that plays really good football. Um, we're probably a little bit more defensive and uh, a hard-working team. So. I think we do match up quite well against them and, um, you know, it's exciting, but it's a, it's a really tough, 
tough playoff or a tough promotion um, playoffs anyway, where we, um, I'm not sure if you know too much about it, but the higher ranked team. So for us this weekend, we play at home and we only need to actually draw the game to go through. Um, and then once we play the next uh, next team that wins out of the, the fourth and fifth place, same again, we can actually draw that one at home. And then once we go to the, the final playoff against the J1 team, um, then they only need to draw the game and they're at home. So it's a really tough uh, tough thing to get promoted. Uh, the favour is definitely in the J1 team. Um, but in saying that, you know, we, we finished third. We've, we've been really strong. So hopefully we can uh, continue our, uh, our good form into the playoffs. Just very quickly, you said it's another story, the replay. Is it an interesting story or a funny story? Or is it pretty regulation? Well, I've ne- oh, no, it's not very regulation. So the... Um, Pretty much we played them, it was very early in the season, we played them and I reckon it was about the 11th minute mark, they had a back pass to their goalkeeper and missed the goalkeeper and he sprinted back and it was going in and he dived to hit the ball out with his hand and the referee came over, obviously it's an indirect free kick, but he gave the, the goalkeeper a red card. And we didn't score from the indirect free kick, but we ended up scoring in the 90th minute. So we won one nil, and they uh, they contested the decision because they, I think, found some law that said the referee didn't just get the decision wrong, but he's actually um, interpreted it completely the wrong way. Um, and they took it to FIFA, I think. And then we actually had to replay the game from the 11th minute mark and the indirect free kick. So uh, we we ended up scoring from the indirect free kick and we won that game 2-0. Um, but yeah, it was crazy to, to start a game from an indirect free kick at the 11th minute mark. Um, yeah, I've never never seen anything like that. But uh, yeah. have, you, have you texted Carl that maybe this could be an option for Adelaide? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think this is it's a different different situation. Obviously, with the red card just yeah. being the wrong decision. But no, I, I think it, when it happened, it it does open up a whole can of worms because then you say, well, what about a goal kick or sorry, a corner that's given? And it should have been a goal kick. You know, where does it stop then? Obviously, and um, yeah, somehow that that got approved here in um, in Japan, and we had to replay the game. Luckily, we won. So maybe Yamagata is still uh, angry about that as well. So it'll be a, a good game this weekend. Sounds like one for the, the peak J two league Twitter page. But uh, Tom, yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you were going to raise something just before. Now, I'm sort of just interested to know, Stefan, obviously you've played a lot of your career in the A-League where the season is comparatively short. Uh, the J2 League is quite a long season, like 42 games plus playoffs, plus I'd imagine a couple of preseason games thrown in, uh, cup games as well. How have you managed to sort of become accustomed to that? And do you think it's like helped you improve having all these extra games and this added pressure? Um, yeah, I think well, it's 100% better to play more games. Um, for me, I'm pretty pretty tired um, coming from half an A-League season as well into this. Um, it's been a long, you know, 16, 17 months nonstop. Um, but, you know, the having 42 games, it's crazy how, you know, the, the ups and downs of the season, you know, at the start, Yokohama won, I think, their first maybe 10 in a row um, and they were flying at the top and then, um, Nigata then from the second half of the season were dominating and, and they caught up and ended up winning the league comfortably um, and Sendai who missed the playoffs were coming third for the first three quarters of the season so because there's so many games um, 
it can change quite a lot. And I think it, it just gives uh, gives the players more of a chance to play. If you're injured, you miss a few games. You don't miss too much of the season. Um, you're not training as much. You're playing more games. Uh, and I think just having the promotion and relegation has made me realize that, um, you know, not all the games are good quality, but every single game means something, whether you're playing, you know, the 18th place or the second place, you're all fighting for something. And having that promotion and relegation just creates more of an uh, more intensity from every single player. Um, and I think obviously it's a big topic in Australia at the moment, but I think that definitely will add to games in Australia as well, because, you know, you, you're fighting for places on the training ground, but also then once you're playing the games, you know, one team's fighting for promotion, the other one's fighting to stay up and um, the ramifications of getting relegated are massive and, and the same, the other way promotion is massive to the first division. So it just adds a lot more to the league. And we haven't yet mentioned that you play with Mitch Duke, of course, who is in strong, strong contention to be the starting number nine for the Socceroos at the World Cup. So quick little update on how he's gone for us, please. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's good. He's, um, he's really important to the way we play because we are quite a defensive uh, team, play a lot more long balls compared to the other Japanese teams. He's, uh, I think he's actually the number one uh contested player for headers um and he's uh he's been scoring yeah (laughs) he's been scoring scoring a few goals and um and working really hard so hopefully you know playing these extra games and and i know a lot of um players in the the national team obviously their competitions have stopped or they're not playing minutes but you know having these playoff games gives him that chance to get some more minutes in the legs and and go into the the world cup if he's selected um having played a, a lot of games this season just, just one more on this. I, I know, like, you're probably not in many people's Socceroos squads, but is there a tidy part of you that is, <laughs> like, if I really catch people's eye here, if I just have the greatest two months or one month now of my life in the lead-up to the World Cup, like, maybe, maybe, maybe something could happen. Is there a part of you that says that in your mind? Um, I think every player wants to believe that, but I think it's uh, maybe a little bit late for the World Cup um, in Qatar. But you know, you never know. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say, are you just, are you just sort of kicking yourself? You look at other positions on the pitch without digging anyone out. I feel like central midfield, we just have so much depth that maybe if it was another position on the pitch, that, that there's certain players that aren't playing as as high level comparatively. Are you just looking at the depth? elsewhere all around uh, Australia's team just going why can't it be a, a little bit easier to get in yeah I guess there is that no midfield is um, probably our strongest point you are right especially in the number eight number ten positions we've got some really good players um, in in different leagues in the world so of course that's uh, that's something against you but in saying that you know to get into the national team I think for any position it's tough and you need to be playing really well and um, and hopefully, you know, going to the World Cup, the, the squad that's picked, they can go there and actually make a really big impact. Now, let's stick on the Socceroos theme and we'll hit the stinger for our weekly segment leading up to the World Cup, Socceroos Bolters and Falters. As always, hope you're standing up. No, no hats on and bit. Very respectful <laughs> for our national anthem as you're tuning in from wherever you are. But uh, Tom, why don't you hit us first with your bolter and falter of the week for the Socceroos? 
So my Socceroos bolter is Ryan Strain. And I think we've mentioned him a couple times uh, in the pod in the past. I think Stefan Mork's probably a former teammate of his, if I'm, if I'm correct in yep. saying. Yeah. 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 Um, and he's doing a really good job at St. Mirren at the moment. And uh, I think with the right back stocks, it actually seems pretty likely that he'd get picked at this point because both Atkinson and Karacic are injured. And if, if you look at, at, at what other options we have in that position, there's really not a lot. I think I mentioned previously that Tommy Deng has played right back in the past um, and could probably fulfill that position for the national team, given that Arnie's playing his, his fullbacks inverted at the moment. So it would probably suit him more than having an overlapping fullback there. But I think... Um, Ryan Strain, given the lack of options, would be pretty stiff to miss out given his form. And from all accounts, and I, I watched their game against Celtic a couple of weeks ago that they won, um, and he was probably a man of the match during that game as well. And I think a lot of the reports have been incredibly positive about his ability to get forward, but also just his athleticism down the right flank, which was what we saw in the A-leg as well, both offensively and defensively. He's just a real athlete, gets up and down, Um and is serviceable in possession as well. He rarely misplaces passes, is a really good crosser, um, and is a pretty good attacking weapon. So I think um, he's definitely one to keep an eye out on. I think um, he's really staking a good claim to get selected in the final squad. be interesting to know how many right-backs are in the 55-man uh, extended squad that Graham had to hand in. Ryan Strain, no doubt, be there. But uh, Lucas, your bolter for the week? Um, mine is Danny De Silva, uh, more so down to Dwight York's comments more than anything. I think sometimes in Australian football, especially for someone as big a name as Dwight York, someone coming out like that and offering support is, is massive. And I think people will take notice of that and sort of put them up in his estimation. And the other thing is with the injury to Aiden Hurstich, where that position has almost opened up a little bit, obviously Tommy Rogic. Um, we'll be coming back into frame, I think. But, you know, you never know. I, I would expect that Danny De Silva would have been close to that, would have been on that 55-man list. Um, but I think uh, Dwight York coming out and saying, oh, he's a quality player, he should be in contention, will get heard. I, I, and I think Graham Arnold is the sort of character that would know that it's Dwight York. And, okay, if he's saying it, he m- might be on something. And obviously the... Opposite applies for Daniel Azani, who he, uh, who Dwight, I think, is enjoying sort of poking his ego a little bit almost um, publicly because he's not been afraid to um, come out and not be full of praise with him, which I, th- I think is Dwight York showing his, his managerial nous pretty early in his career. Quick word on that, Tom, before you get into your falter. Yeah, no, I'm actually going to link in my falter with this because I think it works quite well with what Lucas was saying there. Oh, a bit of a game change going on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'm not needed. I'll, I'll leave. <laughs> watch out, Harper. Watch out, Gerald. <laughs> I'm coming for your spot. <laughs> um, but no, I think the De Silva thing is interesting because you mentioned that we've got a lot of these phenomenal number 10s and offensive 8s. Um, but I think it's worth saying that a lot of these guys aren't actually getting a lot of minutes at the moment. So Prusic, for example, is injured. We don't know whether he's going to be fit for the World Cup. At the moment, it seems very 50-50. On the other hand, you've got the other two 
um, phenomenally gifted number 10s that we've got playing in the championship, Riley McGree and Tommy Rogic, both of them are out of favour. Um, for instance, Tommy Rogic, he's, he's had a caretaker boss at the helm since Steve Bruce uh, got sacked and they've been playing 3-4-3. And when you look at that system, you just don't – it's sort of hard to find a, a position for Rogic to fit in. He was, he was playing as a number six even under Steve Bruce, but that's evidently – not the role that you'd associate Tommy Rogic with playing. So playing in a double pivot just isn't really for him and he's not exactly a player that I think is suited to playing out wide either. So um, fortunately, um, West Brom have a new boss now, so it'll be interesting to see how Rogic reacts to that. But I guess my falter is Riley McGree because he's been out of favour for a few games now. He's just been coming off the bench after... Really, last season when he sort of stayed or, or really stamped his authority in the championship, started scoring goals, was a constant in the 11 and a pretty good Middlesbrough 11 too. So um, the fact that he's not getting minutes is also worrying, but I guess it opens up the door for the likes of Danny De Silva. And I, I guess whether he gets included in the squad will just be <laughs> dependent on whether York timed his comments well enough Um and, and if they were before Arnie's release or, or, or before the deadline of Arnie having to select that 55-man squad because you'd assume after those comments, the Silver might find his way into that squad, um, uh, uh, sort of defying all odds to do so, I'd say. Lucas, your falter for this week. I actually found it quite hard to pick one this week, to be honest. Um, I think it's not so much a falter because he's going to start but Matt Ryan is coming to my mind because he's still not playing and Mitch Langrack is still dominating, doing very well at Nagoya Grampus. Um, but Matt Ryan is struggling for game time and has been... And I think there was a really good article that he did with Adam Peacock that um, he spoke about that he's never had a rivalry with an opposition goalkeeper like the one he's got going on right now. His opposition number one, whose name escapes me, has sort of come out and said... Camille Grabara. That's the one. I knew it started with a G. Um, uh, has sort of said, I'm the number one. And uh, according to him, that, that, that there's a bit of a bit of healthy competition there, which um, you don't see players mentioned as much publicly as, as what's going on. So that was one that came to mind. And then Green Quoll, I would like to see him try. Well, obviously, it's not up to him, but I would like to see him start a game at some point. Um, I know that's not the role he'd have if he was selected in, in the Australia squad, but he's another one that came to mind. So I think one of those two, It's I don't think, which is good if we're struggling to get uh, falters at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to wake Stefan up because he hasn't, hasn't spoken for a while. We mentioned Mitch Langerak playing in Japan. Obviously, you haven't crossed paths with him, crossed paths with him, I know, like in terms of playing for the same team. But is there a, like, Aussie footballers in Japan group chat or something where that you know him through anything like that? No, I, I did actually catch up with him a few months back um, just through through an agent um, that he's got um, and that helped me get over here. So I have met him and um, he's obviously doing unbelievable. It's a massive, massive club and he's uh, he's been there for now four or five seasons and broke broke the records in the last couple of years anyway not not as many clean sheets this season but you know to be consistently playing in, in j1 and at a big club like that you know you, you've got to be doing pretty well um, especially being a foreign player 
um, and being bringing in a goalkeeper for that as well. So it's um, it shows that he's obviously made such a big impact there. Move on, and we'll stick on the World Cup theme. We'll move to the Women's World Cup, of course, taking place next year, right here in Australia and New Zealand. The draw happened uh, just the other day. Pretty tough draw, most of the experts are saying, for the Matildas. We've got Canada, we've got Ireland, and we've got Nigeria. Um, yeah, it's, it, it all makes it all more real now that the groups are, that the groups are out, obviously. Um, it's great from, a, from an Adelaide perspective, we're going to have some pretty big games here. The fact that England are playing here and England look like they're on a, a trajectory course potentially if we finish second with, with Australia. Um, and then, uh, and then Brazil as well. So I think now it's, uh, and it was great to see the excitement building around the tournament as well. Um, obviously the fact that Matildas have played two of these teams recently and, and lost quite, uh, quite convincingly, um, does fill us with a bit of worry um, but as Tom mentioned the home ground advantage is going to be absolutely huge and I think people don't realise how big this is going to be until until that actually happens and um, yeah I've got a I've got a four year old niece and she was over on the weekend I was explaining to her oh we can go watch the World Cup next year and she was going oh really so uh, I'm definitely not just forcing that down her throat um, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 very exciting. And but at the same time, it is a tough group. But we've got to 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 be the best and to go as far as we can. We've got to beat the best. So for it's a bit of a different situation with a women's world cup to a men's world cup because we're going to have to play these teams deeper in the in, in the tournament anyway. And we we hope that we can go further than we would in in a men's tournament. Tom, we'll move to Western Sydney one, Brisbane Raw one. A result that not too many would have predicted. Western Sydney, heavy, heavy favourites for this one in most people's minds, at least. Yeah, so I think with this one, it was a, um, it was quite an interesting game. It wasn't the most like entertaining game as as one would would typically expect of a of a Marco Rudin team. Not no offence to the man, <laughs> but I, I think it was good to see Charlie Austin get on the score sheet. Once or, or for the first time in the A League, it was a really good goal as well. One that, um, from all accounts, came directly from the training pitch for Brisbane. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was good to see that. I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity for Western Sydney though um, to try and get that third win on the trot. I think though we've seen with Western Sydney, it's it's they've got all the hallmarks of a Marco Rudin team in terms of being really solid defensively and then being able to break quickly in transition, but by also having that focal point number nine that they've got in Krupic, who, um, who aside from perhaps not having the technical quality of Yangi, as we've said in the past, he is phenomenal in the air and wins a lot of aerial duels. Um, perhaps uh, in a similar vein to Stefan's teammate, our much-beloved Mitch Duke, <laughs> who, who was obviously a former Wanderer. Um, uh, but the, the man I'd like to single out from Western Sydney is Marcelo, the, the new captain. I think he looks absolutely phenomenal. Uh, shades of Leo Lacroix from last season, in my view. Um, perhaps not as sort of flashy, doesn't really do uh, as much like ball carrying out from the back or any really um, risky passes between the lines or anything like that. But in terms of just defending his box and, and being a threat from set pieces as well as we saw on the weekend, I think, um, I think they've got a really, really, really big weapon right there. And we've got some breaking news. Sound the alarms. Ibisuki's car, red card has been rescinded. Uh, so <laughs> Sanity that, prevails. 
Yeah. <laughs> are they are they gonna are they gonna replay the match though? That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> For the 48 it's minutes. crazy, I think, when <laughs> football, football Australia probably felt the pressure um, to, to take it back because of the uproar, but it doesn't make sense how, you know, you have an organisation that can rescind a card when you've just had the VAR, the referees, say it is a red card. Like, again, this is for me where there's a massive problem. There's a massive problem right there where you've got a referee, the VAR, saying it's a red card in their opinion and then you've got the the federation or whoever's in charge of the competition saying okay we're not going to give this as a red card what's the point (laughs) Stefan I'll stick with you we're on the Western Sydney Brisbane game of course Charlie Austin in the lead up to that uh, was the subject of much attention from football fans of course part of the A-League's all access weekly documentary that we saw uh, at his kind of infamous now, a little or infamous, famous, I don't know, blow up with uh, Connor Chapman in the dressing rooms. So you've got a very different perspective on this to all of us, no doubt. Being a player, how do you feel being <laughs> followed around by cameras everywhere and anywhere you go? Oh, I, I don't think it's a it's an issue for a player. I think it's um, it's a good thing, you know, that it's something that is giving that all access Um which the A-League needs, needs more exposure, needs people to talk about um, obviously what happens on the field but also off the field and, and something like that, that that blew up the way it did. Um, that's the whole idea of these uh, these videos and, and documentaries is to get people to talk about um, football. So I think the, uh, the APL have, have done really well with that so far with the first two and um, – you know, obviously it creates creates debate, creates people saying that, you know, you shouldn't speak to teammates like that or you should or it's part of football. Whatever it is, it's getting people talking, which is the number one thing I think that the APL want from it. So it's um yeah, it's unbelievable. Lucas, do you think how well do you think it will kind of seep through into the mainstream Australian audience? Because ideal world we want every single Australian to be watching this. Do you, do you reckon it will be draft to survive type thing which just blows up the A-League? Oh, maybe not draft to survive levels because everyone pretends they watched F1 before that, but in reality, <laughs> so just blew up the sport. <laughs> so uh, <fast. laughs> um, Well, it's, I, I think this is the one of the best things that the A-League's ever done. It's unbelievable. That one last week was so good. Um, and as an example, I showed a couple of people at work that are performer that are former footy players, uh, that former AFL footy players, um, that were going, "Holy, holy shit! This is this is exactly what it's like, like being." And we're saying, "Can you send this to me?" Uh, as if this is being done. I, I think how big it makes the A League is one thing, but it's definitely gonna things like that are gonna make people tune in and know who people are and stuff like that and. It would be great if some... I'm not sure what the legal stuff behind it would be great if the A-League could try and find a way to own the production company that does it because it's been done perfectly and getting out four days later, if they could do that for other leagues, if there's a way they could do that and make some money off it when people inevitably try and steal the idea, it'd be fantastic. Um, but I'm, I'm just gobsmacked. I, I watched it and thought, I can't believe how good this is. And sorry, Tom, I know you're trying to get something in, but... I hope that people don't, and Stefan touched on it then, I hope that people don't overanalyze these these arguments and debates because as we, we know, these are the things that happen in, in a dressing room and for the players, it's not, it's, not, it's not that deep. 
So I hope we don't have situations where every week people are going to Charlie Austin, oh, do you hate Connor Chapman? Or something like that. <laughs> because it's, it, it's obviously not true. But I was astounded with, with how good it was. Yeah, it was absolutely mental. Like, it was, it was such good viewing. It was, like, almost felt like we shouldn't be watching it as if, as if it, like, it was so, like, I think with the name All Access, it's, 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 it's a classic dangle, isn't it? It's, 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 <laughs> they're dangling the All Access right there, but you sort of worry that we're not actually going to get All Access, but the, the, that second episode with Austin certainly lived up to the name. Um, and I think I agree a lot with, with what Lucas was saying there. And I think with, um, with, with something like this, it really helps to show that the A-League does mean a lot for a lot of people and especially for the players because I think there's obviously a lot of people that sort of take the piss out of the league. Um, we can joke about it sometimes as well, even us as people that obviously have a deep affinity towards the league. But showing how much these players actually care about these results and how much it means to them, I think it also does a bit of a service to the A-League in sort of lifting its um, its seriousness and its integrity as a footballing competition. What's the perspective in Japan, Stefan, on the A-League? Like, does it get spoken about at all with your, your J2 um, teammates about what the A-League's like? No, they do ask questions. I think, you know, there's there's a few of the players that know um, Ibusuki or Tomoki Emai. So, um, you know, when I first came, they, they asked about them. And um, I'm actually playing with Rio Nagai, who played for Perth Glory quite a few years ago. Um, so he obviously knows the league. And, and they do ask, there's players that ask about the league, what's the standard like? Um, but they don't know too much about it, to be honest. I guess similar to a lot of a lot of Australians wouldn't know much about the Japanese league. Um but it's uh, it's something that I think a few of the players here would definitely be interested in coming to. Um, and I think it's a, a good market as well if you can get some, as, as we saw with Shinjono when he came. And um, the Japanese are, are very big big supporters of people from their country and, um, and they love football here. So it's uh, maybe a strategic play as well. If you can get a few more Japanese players there, you can create um, some followings from the Japanese, which is what I think they've done with Thailand. They've got a few Thai players here. And then the TV rights deal in Thailand is actually um, quite high because of the interest. Lucas, moving back to the A-League and the results from the weekend, Western United 1, MacArthur 1. Yes, uh, obviously the thing that it's hard to ignore is that there was barely any people there. I think there was officially more seagulls than people at this game, but um, (laughs) on the pitch... Uh, it was actually quite an exciting game. Both sides had their chances. Um, Lockie Wales' goal um, originally did look like it was going to, I think, originally looked like it was going to get overturned. Uh, sorry, not given and then got um, given eventually. Uh, but to me, uh, MacArthur looked like they're building something decent there. They've got quite a few players that are exciting to watch. And it, it's just exciting seeing the adventures of Azani more than anything, knowing that he can at any moment look like a world beater and then the next minute maybe not track back or something like that. Um, and it's, it's exciting having him in our league, even in games where he's not performing well. Um, West United, I think we highlighted before the season that I didn't think they were going to be able to keep up their level of performance that they had last year. 
that does look like it's beginning to happen, but they did manage to get a point, so... Um, and uh, one of uh, Stefan's good mates, Ben Garuccio, had another good game um, and is a, definitely a player who I think maybe gets overlooked um, for some reason because he was fantastic last season in terms of... And I think there is a thing where, in terms of soccer selection, where if a player's in the A-League and he's playing... And Strain's a good example of this. If When Ryan Strain was playing in the A-League, people wouldn't have put him forward to the soccer even though he was performing, performing at a really high level. Goes overseas and suddenly everyone goes, oh, he's playing in Europe. So I think maybe sometimes... It's the Adelaide does. United bias coming again, the East Coast <laughs> bias, Lucas. <laughs> There's a conspiracy, man. Um, <laughs> no, I think... Uh, I, but I just think it's interesting in terms of the way we perceive our league um, maybe doesn't stack up like we seem to have this belief that players have to go overseas to to get picked but when well I tell you what if Ryan Kiddo was playing for Melbourne City he would be in the Socceroos squad <laughs> <laughs> it's not an official well, segment keeps... this week but I think I've got to play the stinger <laughs> 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 um, but shall we move on? We put something up on Twitter, uh, pre-pod. We asked uh, all you lovely listeners for your A-League one season wonder 11. So players in this 11 can only have played one season in the A-League as a whole. Like no multiple clubs, nothing like that. One season in the A-League as a whole and that season must have been wonderful. They're, they're, those are the two rules of it. So uh, Tom and Lucas, uh, you know, uh, combine uh, their two, the, the brains trust over here, uh, combine their knowledge to hit us with their combined one season wonder 11 from the A-League. Tom, I believe you're going to kick us off. Yeah, so I reckon it's pretty hard to choose defenders and goalkeepers for the, for the one season wonder 11 just because... A lot of the foreign players that you get in the A-League are attacking players. And typically, I think a lot of the better defenders tend to stay for a couple more seasons just because I think it's harder to find a really serviceable foreign defender. Um, so naturally, when a club finds one, they want to keep them for longer. So you see the likes of Mathieu Dampierre, um, uh, who else? Bart Schenkevelt, these guys were probably the two best foreign centre-backs to ever play in the A-League, but played for more than one season. So were out of the uh, – did not fit the criteria for this list. So the, the players that I've gone for, I've gone a bit of a more modern touch just because my, like, sort of following or being really up-to-date with the A-League outside of Melbourne Victory probably came more in sort of like last six or seven years. So I've gone with, in goal, Daniel Lopar who people will remember from uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers. He was a really good goalkeeper. And then I've gone left back, Raul Llorente, uh, who is another Western Sydney Wanderer, but I think one that people will forget. But I just remember him being really good. He had that really long hair, just flew down the left wing, uh, sending in the crosses to Oriol Riera back in the day. Um, I've gone Sayed Mohamed Adnan, the Brisbane Raw centre-back, part of Ange's uh, Raw Salona team, uh, probably best known for scoring that absolute gem of a free kick, uh, defying all odds to put that ball into the absolute top bins. Um, and then my other centre-back, I've gone Gregory Wuttrich, um, who was a very big one-season wonder at the Perth Glory, um, was quite serviceable in the 1920 campaign, um, and he's now actually playing in the Austrian Bundesliga, so a pretty decent level. Um 
which is uh, you don't tend to see players go back to Europe and play at a pretty good level after playing in the A-League, but he certainly did. Um, and then right back, another one that sort of fits that bell, I think he's playing in Belgium now. Um, could be wrong there, but I think so. Um, Richie Delat, probably best known for his exploits as a, as a number nine for Melbourne City under Warren Joyce. But he... Um, uh, contrary to, to, to Warren Joyce's beliefs, is in fact a right back um, and was really, really good for Melbourne City as a right back when he played there um, during that season. So that's my back four and goalkeeper, I reckon, pretty strong behind what I would expect is quite an attacking sort of spine for Lucas here. I, I would sense that too. And I uh, I, I was under the impression this was might not be the – might. Uh, not end up being the most coordinated operation of all time. So I thought we will do it a 3-4-3. So we might end up with 12 players, but Lucas, uh, who have you got in your front two <laughs> to lines? Be fair, to be fair, I, when I when we tried to put this, to peel back the curtain, when we tried to put this team together, I sent a team which had no goalkeepers or defenders. Um, <laughs> because like Tom mentioned, it's a lot easier with the attackers. It's just a matter of getting everyone down. There's certain ones that I'm going to be their exact position. The first one I'm going to start with, and he's the main one that I thought was phenomenal at the time, uh, is Patricio Perez, the Argentinian um, that played, was also, I believe, in the same season that Tom Rogic broke through, 2010-2011. The thing that a lot of people remember him for and that I remember him for is uh, his dive against Sydney FC, which he got a two-game game for. was a massive deal at the time. Scored six goals in 18 games but was unreal for, honestly, I think one of the best um, contenders for this list. Uh, Alongside him, uh, I've gone, this one's uh, a Twitter shout, so shout out to, we'll get his name out, Jeremy Dooley on Twitter, Richard Kids Bickler, which was the first uh, season of the A-League and Melbourne Victory, scored five goals in 18 games, um, and is now uh, Southampton's assistant coach. Um, weirdly enough, but uh, he came a pretty big rep- uh, rep- uh, reputation to the A-League. Um, alongside him in midfield, it's a very disjointed midfield, um, I've got uh, Daniel Adlung, um, an Adelaide, first Adelaide United player. To be honest, this was a, a Tom Williams shout. I, th- I thought he was very good and um, for, uh, for Adelaide United at the time, but to be honest, he didn't spring straight to mind. Um the streets but, will never forget that absolute banger yes, of a long shot that he scored yeah. <laughs> against <laughs> the Mariners. Um, yeah, I don't think – I think, yeah, it was a different season to when you were here, uh, Stefan. Um, but uh, I think alongside him, the last guy we've got in midfield, um, technically should count as a forward, but um, I couldn't get all the forwards in, is Johan Absalonson was absolutely unbelievable – um, as a winger, scored six goals in 12 games that season. Had a bit of struggles with injury. I think would have been one of Adelaide's best ever foreigners if he if he stuck around, unfortunately. Um, he's now retired. Um, played for a team that I can't pronounce in Denmark. Um, <laughs> almost there. Sonderski? Sonderski? The same club as uh, Loza? Your, your pronunciation knows no bounds, Thomas Williams. <laughs> well, <laughs> as someone, sorry, just to dip it behind the curtain as well, as someone who's learning Danish right now, I reckon Tom's butchered that too. But, Lucas, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then our front three uh, are all former Sydney FC players, um, one being Mark Yanko, 
Um, 16 goals in 24 games in the 2014-15 season. Was, and then went back to Europe and then dominated after that, which I think speaks to just how good he was. Was just such a good target man in that team. Then uh, Adrian, who a lot of people just chose to say his first name because Michajewski is just such a difficult name to pronounce. But um, he was basically the player of the year. I think there was a, a rumour that he was going to come back to play for Wanderers at one stage. Um, but he clearly the, the best one-season wonder in the A-League's history... Undoubtedly, in my opinion, he 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 has to be, I think, um, and was just so dominant. And even in that season, was probably still a little bit underrated, really. Yeah, um, which is mind-boggling to say for a guy who um, like was obviously up there with the with the Johnny Warren medal um, count. But um, and the I think final walk to the Johnny Warren, I think yeah. he won it by like a, a mile. It might, I think, it might be one of the largest like consensus of a, of a win but I'd have to check yeah. that the last one guys uh, to you three is actually I'm not sure if any of you will remember him but uh, maybe Stefan might Stefan might yeah but because he might have been in the stands at this time but, uh, but uh, played three games uh, for Sydney FC Benito Carboni just because I remember him playing against Adelaide United and it in the 26 season, uh, 2006 season. Oh, yeah, he was so good. Came here on a loan stint, and I think it was the best individual performance in A-League history. Uh, actually, Archie Thompson probably owns that, doesn't he? Um, but <laughs> yeah, cop that, Lucas. You've tried to erase that from your memory, haven't you, mate? <laughs> oh, God. Um, with great difficulty, it still hasn't gone. Um, but he was... <laughs> Unbelievable! Only played three games, but he still gets with my team because he was just so good. I had to find a way to get him in there, and I was in awe watching him, thinking, "This guy, why is he choosing to play um, in Australia?" Of course, former former Inter, Napoli, and Torino player. So, yeah, that is my team. As the host and the captain and the uh, leader of this podcast, I'm going to overrule that decision for to put Benito Carbone in your gold generation <laughs> one season wonder 11 and, well, bloody three-game wonder he was because I don't think you can be in one season wonder if you played three games. So I'm putting Leroy George in there who you yeah, failed to mention, right. Lucas, you dog. That's right. <laughs> nah, nah, he was Leroy that good George. in the three games. If he played the entire season, he would have been... But he, he would have just destroyed everyone. It was so unfair having him. <laughs> and I, that's got to be like a joke against the like the uh, competitiveness and the integrity of the league that one team gets to play against him and the other team would have been playing against whoever else. I don't know, Terry McFlint. Well, Terry McFlint was quite good, but just whoever else in the AFC <laughs> would have Vince Leah. <laughs> no, he still would have been with you guys at that time. Uh, but yeah, that's his, that is our team. Unfortunately, I've been outvoted. You have been, uh, and kicked off the podcast once we finish this episode. But um, let's move on back to the games of the weekend. We'll move... Well, Lucas, uh, I don't know how good you are with your Alton John references, but we'll move to Becker and the Jets and Darts Malia and his uh, electric boots uh, with an absolute wonder goal. Uh, Newcastle 3, Wellington 1, of course. And the Hunter, what did you make of it, Lucas Ronaldo? That's great that we can use Becker and the Jets from, from last season as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's Malia with an absolute thunderbolt into the back of the net uh, and really a great sign for Newcastle. They've done so well with their foreigners in the last couple of years um, and, to be honest, have done so well with their signings in general. The fact that, to be honest, when, um, when Piscopo went there, I thought that he was going to be 
their main man and sort of that they were going to build this team around him. But it doesn't seem like they're relying on him too heavily, of course, because he started on the bench for the first game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think for Newcastle, maybe flying into the radar a bit, that's two wins in a row now. Um, like I said, they tend to put together these teams that on paper you go, who the, who's that guy, who's that guy, who's that guy? But then Dutzmelia is already looking like a, like a great signing. Bahadia is, I think, is, is uh, perfect for a team like Newcastle because we saw later in the game his inability to finish uh, butchering a one-on-one. But uh, he's just so so quick and so powerful, so strong for a, a team that he's going to play on the counter um, or be up against it in a lot of games. So the ability to sort of mix it up and go long and just rely on his pace and physicality is just a, a bit of a game changer for Newcastle. So uh, two in the trot for them and maybe uh, a team that was predicted to be low down on the table might be able to upset the apple card a bit. <laughs> Much closer to an invincible season than Melbourne victory, dare I say, Tom Williams. But uh, <laughs> let's get to the final game that we have to cover from the round. And the final game that occurred, uh, Central Coast Mariners 1, Perth Glory 2. Tom. Yeah, a very surprising result in my opinion. But the Mariners were poor. They were really poor. Um, Cummings was good, which was good to see. Um Characteristically, just his his touch is just so sublime. I don't think he actually gets enough credit for how good his game is. Aside from being able to score a lot of goals, he's actually really really comfortable at dropping deep, helping with build up, and he's got this signature pass that I tweeted about where he hits it with his laces to the overlapping left back or left wing, and he just pulls it off every single time, and he just makes it look so easy. It's 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 really quite fascinating. Um, from Perth, I, I think McKenneth, Aaron McKenneth looked quite good. Um, really strong box-to-box midfielder. They were playing this weird system. It was sort of hard to decipher, but it was something resembling a three at the back with like Khalifi and, um, and Williams as the wingbacks. But it actually worked quite well for them. Um, I, I don't think they were like the most inspiring team to actually like watch play, but they dug deep and they managed to keep out um, like a pretty decent and youthful Central Coast side. I was a bit disappointed to see Jacob Farrell's performance. I was obviously very high on him last season, and I don't think he had the greatest game of his life. He misplaced quite a few crosses, um, wasn't as tidy on the ball as we've probably expected from him in the past. Um, but, yeah, I think Central Coast are probably starting to feel the losses of a lot of their key players from last season, not only Bujanic, um, especially considering that they replaced him quite effectively at the end of last season, but more the likes of Lewis Miller, Kai Rolls, um, even Marco Ureña, who I have been absolutely glowing in my praise of on multiple occasions, but I just don't think Paul Leongo provides anywhere near the level of, um, of tactical versatility or, 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 or just sheer ability as, as Marco Orenia had. So I think Central Coast um, will be disappointed with that result because Perth aren't going to be a great side this season. But um, I guess you've got to give credit where it's due um, going away from home and getting a result like that. They'd be, they'd be pretty happy with themselves, I think. And, of course, we have to speak about the comment and subsequent deletion of said comment by uh, one Uruguayan tuna in the Perth Glory squad, or maybe maybe not for long, but uh, 
Tom, can you speak to us about this Bruno Fornaroli saga? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a bit of an interesting one. Um, I so I, I think this sort of came to light during the week when Ruben Zadkovic at his press conference basically said that Bruno Fornaroli probably isn't in the best vein of form and was coming back from his injury and he might not start at the weekend. Then he was left out of the squad entirely. Perth Glory posted uh, their, their team graphic on the Instagram, captioned it in the, in the comments with Bruno Fornaroli is out with an injury. And turns out that uh, the man himself, uh, El Tuna, I, I think they call him, drops into the comments and says, no, wrong information. I'm not injured. And Bruno... You're correct because the reason you're not playing is because there is a very interesting, dis- a very interesting dispute um, between Perth Glory and Bruno Fornaroli on Bruno Fornaroli's contract and the fact that he has a clause in his contract which was signed um, at the start of the contract that provides that if he were to get 15 goals across this season and the season before, then he would be entitled to an automatic renewal of his lucrative contract. Um, so I guess what baffles me is that they've signed Bruno Fornaroli to score goals. He scored eight goals last season, uh, so we'd only need another seven more this season to be entitled to his automatic renewal. But they're basically saying, mate, you're scoring too many goals. We can't play you. What are you doing? Um, which is just ridiculous in my opinion. It's it's not any way to even treat an employee, let alone a, a footballer. And I can see why Bruno Fornaroli is so annoyed by it because – he signed that contract on the proviso that if he achieved those goals, he's obviously pretty confident that he'd be able to score seven goals in a whole A-League season. Um, he's done that quite a few times, in fact. Um, that he'd be entitled to his automatic contract renewal. So I think it's a really poor management from Perth Glory. Um, and I don't know how this is going to get resolved, but I can't really see it ending very well for either party. Maybe this is a silly question, but why are they not – just playing him until he gets a bit close to seven goals because he's not going to score seven goals in a game. So what? <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe they are. Maybe they have more confidence in in Bruno Fornaroli than <laughs> than we think they do. But um, yeah, I think it, it, it'd be a weird one. I think maybe there might be something to do with Bruno being a bit disenfranchised when hearing that he's being left out of the team. And then maybe also kicking up a fuss about him not perhaps wanting to play because of these reasons. I'm sure there's some other stuff going on there. Um, but yeah, the, the, the primary cause of Bruno Fornaroli not playing is because of this clause in his contract, um, which I think is is really poor from Perth Glory. It, it's of course the second time this is not this exact situation, but it's the second time for him as well. His ending at Melbourne City was almost a little bit similar, where he he didn't play for a long stretch because he had uh, disagreements there with with uh, with the higher ups and and all that sort of thing. So it's interesting. Such, I would say, one of my favourite players in the history of the A League um, has had this happen to him twice, where due to matters out of his control is is being left out or being and maybe this one's a little bit less on his end than than the last time but uh yeah it's it's unfortunate and at the end of the day like tom mentioned it's it's a little bit silly from perth really because in reality you don't 
want to put a contract a clause in a contract like that for a player at his age that is very reachable. So I uh, know, and and he didn't, and it was for a period of two seasons, and he didn't. They obviously had an awful season last year and missed so much of the year, and he still would probably reach it. So yeah, it's pretty it's pretty poor form from Perth just for something new. Now, that's all the games from the weekend wrapped up. But, <laughs> Stefan, we can't have you on here without talking about your little side hustle. In a game <laughs> journal, it's a very, very groovy, cool-looking company, if I do say so myself, very groovy-looking journals. So t- tell us about it. Tell us about the business. Yeah, it's just something that I um, have a passion in, I guess, is the obviously performance as, a, as an athlete. But um, over the years, I've understood that the – the mind is is such a powerful thing, and um, not just for performance on the field, but also off the field and general well being. So I tried to um, yeah combine everything I'd learnt and and put it in this journal, which was helping me as a player. And and then um, when COVID kind of started, I had a bit more spare time, so I wanted to um, yeah turn it into a business. And I've and I've really enjoyed the the business side of things, and um, and I think that's something that post football I definitely want to get involved in some sort of business whether it's that or something else but um you know now i'm kind of opening it up to one-on-one mentoring sessions and um, i've got some workshops when i'm coming back actually to australia and um, in a few different cities as well so i really enjoy i guess passing on my experiences being able to talk to to younger kids and, and i guess just explain to them what it takes to be a professional footballer from my point of view um but probably most importantly to to share my uh my journey and, and all of the downs uh, and setbacks that I've had along the way. And um, because a lot of these young kids think that it's a, um, an easy path and, and, you know, if they get, you know, dropped from a team or don't get selected, then they're not going to make it as a professional footballer. Um, but it's not the case, you know, you, you do have a lot more downs than ups, um, but it's about, I guess, kind of being resilient enough. And, and that's the talk and the journal kind of go hand in hand. So it's, um, it's been a really exciting thing, I guess, for myself off the field. Will uh, Will Neil Kilkenny be the uh, the face of the journal's advertising campaign? <laughs> no, I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's interested in him, to be honest. <laughs> was that, obviously, that was just a bit of back and forth. But was there a little party that thought, "Damn, this is pretty good for exposure." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. I guess they say oh, there's no, no such thing as bad publicity, but um, no, it's not. Not ideal, obviously. It's one of those things where, you know, when you're on the field, you get a little bit too excited and um, that's where the the all-access, I guess, that certain situation, the the, the media or the, the TV presenter coming straight away at halftime, um, yeah, kind of gets you at a bad time where you probably need to have two minutes in the in the sheds cooling down. <laughs> and of course, you can you can check it out at uh, the innergamejournals.com. Uh, anything else you'd like to add to the, the plug, Stefan? No, no, that's all good. Appreciate that, guys. Beautiful. Um, on that note, I think we might leave there. Thank you very, very much for tuning in for another week. But actually, before I let all you guys, all the listeners go, I'll let our panellists go. So, Stefan, it was an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. Um, really, really appreciate it. Added some great insights. So thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate it. No worries. Appreciate it, guys. And, um, yeah, keep going with it. I'm sure there's plenty of people listening and getting value from it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. And uh, Tom, as well, to you. Thank you as ever. Cheers, Harper. As always, always a pleasure. (laughs) The catchphrase. Lucas, thank you as well. (laughs) 
Thanks again for having me on, Harper. I'm glad that for once we had an equal distri- distribution of South Australians and Victorians on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you can there be no accusations of Vic bias on this particular episode. And next week, uh, we're going to have some songs, the return of the songs. Should be exciting times, fun times for all. Uh, also next week, new segment, we're going to call it uh, Review Ransom or something like that. <laughs> I think Lucas suggested. And what we're going to do there is... If you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you can say whatever you want in the description of that review. You can take the piss out of us. You can mention obscure A-League players and facts and whatever. You can make crack jokes. Do whatever you want. Um, Obscure A-League players might be great, actually. But if you give us a five-star review with whatever description you want, we will read that review out on the show tomorrow, next week's rather. Guarantee it, and we'll do that every week. And uh, also, one final thing on Thursday, uh, exclusive to Pitch to Park, a mini pod with Ange Postacoglu. That's all I'll say on that. I'm very excited for it. I haven't heard it yet. Pump two, though. And we'll see you next week. Look out for that Pitch to Park pod on Thursday. <laughs>